I'm Mike Stewart, author of The Victorious RPG, and you're listening to The Crusader Podcast, a podcast about the Castles and Crusades role-playing game. Clea Ayakta Est, the die is cast. Welcome back, Crusaders, for the 14th episode of The Crusader Podcast. We're excited to have a special guest with us tonight. We have Jim Ward here to talk about Metamorphosis Alpha and everything he's done for the Troll Lords in the past. So, Jim, welcome to the Crusader Podcast. Hey, it's nice to be invited. Thank you very much. Very happy to have you on. Um, so we're going to go over a little bit about uh, your Kickstarter that's currently running. It's going to be over by the time the episode comes out. Uh, but congratulations on that. Everything looks is really awesome. Oh, I'm really very surprised. I looked it up just before the show, and uh, we're at $78,050. And we have 856 people signed on with 28 hours left. That's amazing. Awesome. So I guess we'll jump right into it. Um, you want to tell us what is different about the Starship Warden product that Trollords is coming out with compared to uh, the previous um, publications for Metamorphosis Alpha? Yeah, that's a fair question. Um, basically... The Metamorphosis Alpha came out as the first science fiction role-playing game in 1976. And it's been in print since then, which is very unusual for a role-playing game. And we we decided that we wanted to have all of the 18 levels of the Starship and the 17 in-between levels, we wanted those very accurately diagrammed so people can wander around the ship all they like. And the Trollord boys, Steve Chenault, loved that idea and said, when you guys get that done, we want to do it. So we couldn't refuse them, but they also wanted us to, to put in their Star Siege rules. So what we've done is we have first edition Metamorphosis Alpha rules and Star Siege rules side by side in the game. So that when you see a creature like a wolfoid, which is a nine-foot-tall humanoid wolf, we have the Star Siege um, rules for that creature and the Metamorphosis Alpha rules for that creature in, in one listing. So that you could either play Star Siege with it or you could play Metamorphosis Alpha with it, whichever one you want. So that's going to be the new Star Siege, right? Not the old Star Siege from years back. Excellent point, Liz. Yes, excellent point. It's it's a brand new version, and they have and I saw the cover for the the hardcover version, and it's just excellent stuff. And the book is uh, 680 pages long, and they put tons and tons of fun stretch goals in, and we're constantly hitting the stretch goal ceiling. And poor Steve has to put in new stretch goals um, every couple days. There'll probably be a, a last-minute jump in, in subscribers near the last few hours. That's usually how those work. Yeah, that's the hope, anyway. We'll have to see. But uh, right now I'm working on, uh, on an, a CNC adventure for it, and I'm also working on um, some big boss encounters so that on every level we're going to have, like, a big boss in your computer games, you know, the toughest, toughest guy for each of the 18 levels of the starship. And that's the that's the final stretch goal bit there. Um, I think we're up to six or seven levels so far, and we want to do all 18 if we possibly can. 
So this is a bit of a base level question, but I am curious about this. Uh, who came up with the name Starship Warden? Because I love it. I love the pun. I love everything about it. <laughs> I know that's way back in the past, but I just, I just, I have to know. <laughs> kind of an interesting story behind that. All right. So the time is 1975, and I'm working on the, the role playing rules, and it was kind of tough to do because it, you know, there was never. D&D was out, but no other role-playing game was out. So I was kind of out there on, on the edge of a cliff trying to figure out what to do. And so I said, if, if you're going to build a starship, and at that time I was building the starship, um, what would you call it? And naturally, the, uh, the GM for the game would call it after himself. So I called it the Warden. And I really expected everybody who played the game and who was a referee for the game to call their ship, you know, by their last names, um, you know, like the the, the starship steward or the uh, the starship whale, mm. but nobody did. Everybody called their ships the warden. <laughs> I must say, it astounded me. It really did. So, like for forty five years now, people have been making starships and calling it the warden, which I think is kind of funny. Well, I think that's kind of a an interesting play on the evolution of role-playing games, because I remember back, you know, from stuff I've read when D&D first came out, the idea of for-pay adventures or settings, the early TSR guys just didn't think anyone would really be interested in that, because everyone would be making their own stuff. Yep, yep, but boy, that's really blossomed, hasn't it? Yeah, and I think in a lot of ways, Starship Warden has taken on a semi-mythical quality, kind of like Castle Greyhawk or Castle Blackmore. Well, everybody's going to see all the all the ugly interior in just a couple months. <laughs> <laughs> see how my my mind was weird and bizarre. So, Jim, was it always a plan to map out all of the Warden, or is this like a a new thing that you've built on over all the years? Well, the basic rules had had very generic, rough. They had 17 ovals that were supposed to represent what was in each level, and we described the levels in the in all. The, we've had four sets of rules now. In all of those sets, we described the levels pretty detailed, but there's never been you know perfect images of everything, and that's exactly what this uh, Kickstarter does. It generates perfect images of every single room and every single encounter on every single level. So it took us two years to write. It was just a ton of work. And, uh, and so the, the warden is the result of that. Is it graph or hex gridded or is it just standard mapping? Yes, yeah, standard mapping. They didn't, they didn't want to grid it. Okay. Um, the, the thing is 50 miles long and 20 miles wide. So, um, they, they, five square hexes, five inch hexes. Is it yeah, right? yeah, exactly. They, they tried doing hexes in the beginning, but it just didn't work out. So they just decided to, to not do hex or grid. So let's talk a little bit about some of the levels here uh, that you can back this project, uh, because a lot of cool stuff going on here. Uh, it's the $20 level that you get the digital only package. Um, that's going to be Starship Warden Digital and the Star Siege RPG Digital. Uh, and then uh, you go on from there and you're actually at the $65 level. Uh, the Starship Warden Digital, 
the Goya Adventure Digital, Critters of the Starship Warden Digital, Equipment of the Starship Warden Digital, Ren Adventure Digital, the Star Siege RPG Digital, and then 3D Terrain from Fat Dragon Games, Starship Warden Map Collection. I mean, just tons of stuff. I mean, I could, there's, there's even more than that, uh, including some fiction from you, correct? Yeah, the short stories. Well, I have, uh, I have three short story anthologies that you can buy on Amazon, and I have a novel that you can also buy on Amazon. And so Steve said, can we grab some stories from the anthologies and use them as stretch goals? And so we, we've, we've uh, taken a couple uh, short stories from each of the three anthologies, and that's, uh, we've made that into a product. And then up from there, that's the digital bundle. Then there's a uh, book uh, in print for 70. And then you can get the print and digital bundle where you get the book and some digital items as well at 99. And then um, at 150, that's where you get the GM's box set, which seems to be uh, everything. (laughs) And then on top of that, uh, the, the Starship Wardens Collectors Pledge. Lots of options you can get in for as little as 20 and all the way up to 200 and be a collector. <laughs> uh, although that does get you a leather version of the rule book in addition to the regular hardback. So, you know, I have to tell you too, the leather versions of CNC products are just fun to have. There's, it's just so cool. It's, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just because it feels like a grimoire. It feels like a heavy tome. But yeah, I agree completely. Uh, I think we've got a leather version of Victorious, and we have a leather player's handbook. Those are the only two leather copies we've ever been able to get our hands on. And we almost never take them off the shelf. <laughs> yes, I have a leather version of... Uh, the big book that uh, that uh, Goodman Games did of MA, and uh, and I I don't touch it. It's it's too <laughs> nice. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to put that at the table. I mean, oh, exactly, exactly right. But the six hundred and eighty page book for the warden, I've used that at several conventions now, and it's just it's just a dream to use. Everything's laid out really well, and and the maps are just. Um, Chris Clark did, did all the maps and and added a ton of text. And uh, it just turned out excellently, I think. It's, it's going to become, I, I often say that uh, The Storyteller's Guide by Troll Lords was the best book I ever read, I wrote, and this one's going to become the, my new masterwork that uh, is the best book I ever wrote. Awesome. I'm looking forward to it. I, I played in a game with you at Gamehole Con, um, and, I, and you had the book there, and it looks huge. Is, is that pretty much what it's going to be, what you had there? Yes, that's exactly what it is, except they're going to do a different cover. And uh, we just did uh, 20 copies just to see how big it would be and what it would be like. So uh, there's 20 copies out there. They're probably going to, you know, they're probably going to be worth like a couple thousand apiece when, uh, when, I, when I croak and uh, collectors start looking for them. So obviously you've had quite the history with RPGs in general, starting there in Lake Geneva with Gary. Uh, do you want to touch on any of that? Tell us how how you became the writer of the first sci-fi RPG. You know, that's kind of a fun story. Sure, I can get into that. Um, the time is 1974, and I've graduated from college which, with an education degree, and I'm a substitute teaching um, in Elkhorn and Lake Geneva. And every Tuesday, I go to the Lake Geneva bookstore, 
and I looked for new fantasy and science fiction books. And in those days, they were only like 75 cents a piece. So it was really nice. And uh, so I'm over there at the bookstore, and I've got seven books in my hands. And they're things like Conan and, and Andrea Norton and, and a couple other authors. And there's this biker dude standing beside me. And he's in like a blue jean jacket. And he's got one of those wallets with a great big chain sticking out of your pocket. And he's got uh, ripped blue jeans and boots. And he's got the exact seven books in his hands that I had. <laughs> we thought this was very unusual. So we started talking about things. And he said that he had a game where I could play Conan the Barbarian and fight Set. And I was hooked. Hooked, line, and sinker. So I, I go over to his house, and it's Gary Gygax. And he teaches me how to become a wizard in his D&D game. And so I'm playing six months in the game, and I'm just, I'm just loving every second of it. Because Gary, even then, was an amazing storyteller. And, uh, and every, every second was pure joy. It really was. And I said to Gary, Gary, you absolutely have to have a science fiction version of this game. It cries out for it. And he looked at me, and he didn't know if I had any writing talent at all. And he said, Jim, you know, I don't have time to do that right now. I'm working on other things. Why don't you give it a try? Well, I was kind of amazed by that, but I'm not an idiot. <laughs> so I said, you bet, I'll give that a try. And so for the next six months, I worked on it and, and talked with Gary and Brian Bloom about, about the design and, and what I wanted to put in it. And that's how Metamorphosis got made, and that came out in 76. And uh, it was quite a success there. Um, and first, I mean, the, the originals go for ridiculous dollars on eBay. I don't understand why anybody would want to pay over 100 bucks for one when you can get it for six bucks <laughs> on, uh, on uh, uh, Goodman Games. So that was the story for that. And from then, I just started writing lots of stuff for them. Did uh, Gods, Demigods, and Heroes, which was a and d supplement that added gods to the game. So you could fight Set? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> he was in there. <laughs> yeah, uh, not a good <laughs> idea, though. <laughs> yes, there we go. And then and then that led me to uh, to a lot of other adventures, and then Deities and Demigods, which was a big deal. And then uh, later in the 70s, we did Gamble World, which was which was, uh, you know, a ruined apocalyptic Earth. It was the first uh, apocalyptic role-playing game. And, uh, and so you could walk, walk the er a ruined Earth that uh, got destroyed by lots of different things. And that was Game World. And that's still in print, but it's kind of become an, an ugly, ugly relative. I don't really like the version that's out there right now. <laughs> And so I wrote, I wrote lots of products for Dragon Magazine and the Polyhedron Club Magazine. And, and I, just, I just like writing. And I used, uh, I used Gary as, as my mentor. He taught me lots about game design and how to do games. And, uh, and I became the first Monty Hall referee because I like giving away lots of things. I think it's a good idea. I don't care what Wizards and Pathfinder thinks. Well, I've noticed in convention games, no matter how many goodies you give us, we still manage to kill ourselves. <laughs> so, 
I'm glad you put it that way, Liz. That's right. I don't kill player characters. Player characters kill player characters. Still wouldn't give me a death machine. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you would have you would have killed yourself with it anyway. Oh, it would have first thing it would have done would have probably blown me yeah. away. Probably. And of course, death machines are a trademark of Hasbro Incorporated. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yes, exactly. We have to keep those straight because I don't want to be sued into the Stone Age. <laughs> and our use of that term is not considered a challenge to that copyright. You have you have to call it a murder mechanism. <laughs> a machine of grievous yeah. injury. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember uh, Roger Moore took a death machine from Gamma World and he pitted it against a bunch of Greek gods and the poor gods were all blown away. <laughs> yeah, my players always wanted their D and D characters to jump into Gamma World long enough to try to grab some gear, and then they wanted to go back to D and D. And very good. I'm glad you brought that up because that's what saving the half elf Ren is all about for C and C. It's a C and C adventure. The evil Gary Gygax in 1978. <laughs> we're playing. Uh, we're playing D and D at his house every Thursday night, and so. We're playing and having a great fun, and we find a new portal. And we had played Tomb of Horus before, so a portal was not going to kill our group. <laughs> we threw stones in, we threw sticks in, we pulled them out, we threw a, rat, a live rat in and a live plant, all that was fine. So we jumped in the portal. And then Gary says to me, Jim, do you have your Metamorphosis Alpha stuff with you? And I said, yeah, Gary, it's in the car. And he said, Jim, go get it, will ya? And I said, okay, fine, I, I would go get it. You know, in those days, you did whatever Gary asked you to do. <laughs> and so I go get my stuff, and I come back in the house, and Gary is sitting in my chair with a character sheet in front of him, and he tells me to sit in his DM chair. Okay, well, for two years, I had played Gary's house, and that DM chair meant something special. <laughs> and I I wasn't supposed to sit in it. <laughs> I sat down in the chair very nervously, and Gary told us that we'd all been transported to the Starship Warden. And I said to myself, oh no, my half-elf character's gonna die. <laughs> so for six weeks, we, I was the referee, and they adventured on the Starship Warden. And it was it was a nervous time for me because I didn't want my character to get killed. So so Steve loved that story, Steve Chanel to Troll Lords, and said, Jim, why don't you do an adventure where the C and C characters and it's all uh, ninth level uh, six ninth level elves from C and C are gonna go on the ship and try to rescue Ren the half elf prince. And so that's going to be that's one of the stretch goals as part of the adventure. And I'm just having a whale of a good time writing it. And uh, and there's a bunch of odd rules that you have to follow um, in doing this. So a something from C and C, a fantasy element like like a fireball wand, it does maximum damage on the warden, and the, all the magical weapons do maximum amount of damage. You don't even roll; you roll the hit, but you don't roll for the damage. But the, but the reverse of that is also true. They don't get any saving throws if somebody tries to mentally control them or use a, a, a mutation on a fantasy character. So it's kind of a give and take 
Um, they, they have a good chance of surviving, but it's also tough for them to, to get through a lot of things. So right now, right now they start on level 12 and they have to get to a level 11 and, and find the, the gigantic tree that the elf wren lives in now. And they have to get through all the traps and, and dangers of the tree to get to him to save him and take him home. And I, I can't wait for someone to email and say, we saved Ren, he saved all. That's pleasing me immensely. I'm gonna run the game. I'm gonna run the game every year from now on at uh, at GaryCon in March. And uh, and hopefully you tell Steve to make up some maybe bumper stickers that say I saved Ren or something. Like that. <laughs> you know, we really don't have to tell Steve. People people are mean to me. One year at Gen Con, um, they did buttons, and, and I couldn't say anything because the, the money from the button went to charity, but the button says, I am one of Jim Ward's victims. <laughs> <laughs> that was just mean. Was that I mean? I, I'm sure they meant it as a compliment. Yeah, I'm sure they did, but it, it kind of, I, I couldn't believe how many people were wearing them. And every, <laughs> I won games that hey, day. Or that, I have a photo and, uh, of you. Grinning evilly as you tear my character name card apart at your table after my character died. <laughs> we have proof. We have proof. <laughs> yeah, proof. That's right, too. As I recall, though, you walked into a hundred room, a hundred worms with radiated eyes. I seem to remember. Uh, that. But you encouraged us to always be brave because we didn't want to let LT down. He would have been so Hard. disappointed in us if we turned and ran like cowards. <laughs> well, it turns out to be the good yeah. idea, I guess. <laughs> but still, in real life, though, did your half-elf character survive those six months when you were running the Metamorphosis Alpha game for everyone? He did. He's still alive on the ship 40 <laughs> so, years later. So they did not kill him. Yay. They did not kill him. What happened he has to everyone own, else? Yeah, yeah, really. He has his <laughs> own MA equipment, so when he comes back to the fantasy world, they're going to be very unhappy with him. <laughs> he has power armor, and he has laser <laughs> rifles, and grenades, you know, all the good stuff that the Warden has plenty of. Ooh, and he could become an evil warlord to try to take over Erd? Yeah, he's going to definitely do something like that. I love that idea. <laughs> I, I, I sense a series of modules here. Really? What an idea! <laughs> First you save Ren, and then you have to destroy him. Destroy him. <laughs> or try to destroy him. Lots of luck. That force field's worth 100 points before you even start denting the armor. <laughs> Well, Jim, if you would, could uh, we're the Crusader podcast. We talk about all sorts of Troll Lord stuff. Is there any uh, project you've worked uh, on with Troll Lord that you would like to touch upon a little bit deeper? You've already talked about a couple of them, um, but uh, we'd love to hear it if you have any insight uh, into any of those. Well, I have two that I'm really very proud of, besides the storyteller, Thesaurus. Um, I have uh, uh, Of Gods and Monsters, which uh, I gave I gave the stewards two copies of that, and basically it's uh, it's role playing the pantheons. It's how to bring the gods into your game. But I had a really good idea. I thought I wanted to increase the role playing element. So the gods have avatars that they use. They come back to the world as high level characters, 
and they try to increase the worshipers of their religion using avatars. And all of the worshipers, like if you're an Odin worshiper, you are you have a big advantage with spears. Huh. So pick a god, it will give you a gameplay advantage that I thought was really kind of a, a neat idea, a role-playing neat idea. And so that's Of Gods and Monsters. I don't even think it's in print right now. It was their best-selling product for a while. Yeah, it was a great book. Couldn't have been better. The only thing that would have made it better was Jeff D. Art. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. And then um, I did a thing called Tainted Lance. It was a, a horror box set. And, and the idea was I, I researched a ton of horror elements, um, things that, that are supposed to scare you in movies and in stories, and I put them all in the Tainted Lands. So what happens is um, you find this inn um, in, in the world, and you can put the inn anywhere, um, but in, in the basement is a portal to the Tainted Lands. And naturally, people just <laughs> dive into that portal because that's what people do for some reason. <laughs> I remember Gary lamenting, uh, here, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, in Tomb of Horrors, <laughs> in that devil head, you jump in and you die. And, and Gary was astounded as he played it at convention after a convention of all the people that didn't test anything out and just jumped in the head. <laughs> it just amazed him and it, ma it amazes me. That, that there's this portal in the basement and it looks really wicked and dangerous and people don't think a thing about just jumping in. And there's when you jump, you're then in the tainted lands and, and there's new character classes and new abilities for, you, for your own characters, but uh, the horror elements are just really startling and scary. And, and I wanted that. I want people to be frightened when they play the game. So that's a box set that uh, that I'm really proud of, the work I did on that. You know, it was a ton. I don't usually do a lot of research. Um, I just usually just throw stuff out. But I did a, a really lot of research on horror elements for that one. Is Tainted Land still in print? I think it is. I think it's still a box set that you can get a hold of. Cool. You were also um, editor of uh, Crusader Magazine for a while, weren't you? I was, yeah, for nine or ten months. I, I made the... <laughs> Maybe this is why he decided not to do it anymore. <laughs> it was a quarterly magazine. I said, no, no, no. People want this thing. So I made him do it monthly. And uh, it was it was a ton of work. You know, I had an article in every issue. He had a short story. Steve Chenault had a short story in every issue. But, uh, yeah, we put it out monthly for a long time until Steve just got tired. <laughs> I, was, I was working them too hard. Yeah, Crusader Magazine was where I first got my feet wet working with um, InDesign. That was my that was my first InDesign. I'd use stuff like Quark Express and um, the other software beforehand. And I remember at the time when I started doing Crusader, I had purchased a book to tell me how to use InDesign. Mm. And I was laying out those issues, looking at the book <laughs> as I went along. Wow. Because you did a great job. It was so nice just being able to turn over articles <laughs> to you, and you you turned it into product. Well, that's where we stole our name from. <laughs> it's Crusader Magazine. <laughs> when we were workshopping names for the, the podcast, we were like, well, we got to – 
we got to just steal that one. <laughs> so, but I've done lots of stuff for Trollords. I really like working with them. I did uh, an all gunpowder adventure, which was kind of fun, where all the all the evil characters, the goblins and the orcs and the ogres, they all have gunpowder, and the party doesn't. Oh wow, <laughs> that does sound fun. <laughs> I did an undead module. I, I wanted to do something really tough, so a demo lich made made a resting place for him and he filled it with undead and so naturally the greedy players want to get in there and, and get all his treasures and he has tons of treasures but but the demi lich um the, the way a demi lich works is he sucks the power out of treasures and so he was sitting there with lots of treasures in front of him but they were they were half destroyed from keeping him you know, still functioning and that was fun i had i had i had invisible um, invisible stalkers that threw axes and daggers at the players when they first got in the entrance. That kind of slowed people down. You've got this big Kickstarter coming out. Um, do you have plans after that? Any other things that you're writing? Oh, I got another knee product that I just finished. <clears throat> it's called Giant Lands. It's an idea by, by a guy named Stephen Deinhardt. And uh, Giant Lands, you'll find this amazing. So Stephen comes to me and says, Jim, I'd like a role-playing game. Um, it, we're going to call it Giant Lands, and it's going to be a combination of apocalyptic Earth and fantasy Earth, which has never been done before. So I loved it instantly because nobody had ever combined fantasy and apocalyptic um, campaign. And basically what happens is uh, Gaia, the goddess, wakes up, and she sees how, how mankind has polluted her world, and it really ticks her off. So she just, in a fit of rage, she destroys mankind's civilization and brings back the giants and brings back the titans um, as rulers of the world. And so you play a character, either a mutant or uh, one of the few remaining humans, that tries to make the world cleaner so Gaia won't be mad at you anymore. But the cool part is, if that wasn't cool enough, the cool part is Stephen's going to make it into a theme park. <laughs> so we're going to have a giant theme park where you can play this game for, for and build up your characters to high level and then go to the theme park and use your character in the theme park, which I think is an amazing idea. And then, and that's not all, it's, a, it's cosplay related too. So um, we, we encourage them to wear masks while they play the game. Every single race or every single species has its own mask that they can wear to identify them while they sit around the game table playing the game. And, uh, and he has invented a bunch of cosplay um, outfits. And, and he just finished a Kickstarter that was pretty successful where you can purchase cosplay outfits to play the Giant Lands game, which I think is another great idea. Let's combine people's joy in cosplay. And actually, um, Liz and Mike have done this too. They dress up in their Victorious stuff when when they're at conventions. And so the idea there is to dress up in Giant Lands stuff and uh, walk through the theme park as your cosplay character, which I think is just brilliant. So. I, I give it about a 10% chance of becoming a, uh, a real theme park, but the role-playing game is out, and, uh, and that'll see print in uh, February. Awesome. I'm really pleased with it. I, I, I like doing new things. 
That that's that's what jazzes me up. Coming up with new ideas for for role playing products just pleases me immensely. And that was a great new idea that I that I'd never heard before, but I definitely want to be a part of. And otherwise, let's see. I'm working on. Uh, 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 there's a guy named um, Stephen Lee. He's down in Florida, and I've worked with him on something called the Lost Seventy Seven Worlds, and uh, and we also did Dragon Scales. So basically, in those two games, we use a deck of cards, and I can I can teach you the game in, in about eight seconds. Red cards are good, black cards are bad. So when you want to hit something, you have to draw a heart. And when you want to duck something and not get hurt by it, you have to draw a spade. And and that's that's the rules. There you go. You're ready to play. <laughs> and so I'm I'm doing something. Oh, Stefan's real evil. I I when I was I've done probably eight or nine products in the '77 Lost Worlds. And every time I do it, I I I kick in a, a new Stefan or a new Lee thing. Like this last, this last adventure I did, I think called Lee Pods. And Lee Pods are uh, one-man spaceships that you can use to explore the solar system. But there, I use Stefan's name in it. And just to get even, he's commissioned me to do Ward's Star Gazetteer. <laughs> <laughs> I, have to, I have to destroy a star, and then there's a, there's a planet that's right by the star, and I had to populate it with, with robots and aliens, and uh, it's called Ward's Planet. So I, I'm a little uncomfortable doing that, actually. I don't like putting myself in, in a game. I don't know why. I just don't like doing it. But it made me against my will do it. And then I'm working on uh, a doppelganger adventure for another group. That's kind of fun. And then I'm writing these, uh, these troller things. So that I'm keeping real busy. I, I like keeping busy. And then I get on Facebook every day, and, and I chat with the Facebook people. Facebook is fun. I like giving tips on writing on Facebook because, you know, I like to think that when I go, I've, I've helped some new writers, uh, you know, write a little better. So this, like this last week, I did a little article on getting rid of all the wills and vats in your, in your, uh, in your writing because they really don't help the story much. And in your spare time? Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Right. <laughs> in my spare time, I have a thing called the diabetes soapbox. I've lost my left foot to diabetes, and so uh, I, every month I put an article in Facebook about the horrors of diabetes and how when you get overweight, you should be careful, and how you know you shouldn't do sodas and you shouldn't do sugary things. And and I give myself as an example of how uh, when in my twenties, thirties, forties, and fifties, I ate like crazy. I ate diets i ate regular coca-cola and i ate cakes and cookies and just did not pay attention to my body and like all my grandparents had diabetes i didn't know that until i was 50 and uh, and my dad had diabetes but you know it's an insidious it's insidious it's an insidious disease um it, it makes you worse and worse and worse and you don't even know what's happening and so I lost my foot to the disease, and I don't want other people to lose their feet to the disease. So every month I write an article called the Diabetes Soapbox, and I call it the Diabetes Soapbox, Soapbox, and the title 
because I know people are, some people are just tired of reading that stuff. And, and so I, I warn them, hey, this is an article on diabetes. Don't read it if you don't want to. So once a month, I get on the bandwagon and try to help people out. And I get lots of nice emails from people saying, hey, you know, I've really paid attention to this. Um, just the other day, I got a really nice email from, from a guy who said, thanks a lot, Jim. I didn't have any pie or cookies at Christmas time, just because of you. So, Jim, since you are such a prolific writer and mainly in the RPGs, and you said you like to give advice, do you have a little bit of advice for anybody that is trying to get into writing RPGs or adventures or modules or, or anything like that? Sure, I have tonnage of that kind of advice. You want to hear it? What's your best advice? <laughs> okay, my best advice, look at the websites of the companies you want to work for and figure out what they're doing and then try doing one of those. That's what I did with the Troll Lord boys. I, you know, ideas are a dime a dozen. You don't go to Troll Lords and say, Steve, I got this great idea for a game. Why don't you pay me to do it? No, you don't do that. What you do is you go, you look at Steve's website and you look at fun things like Victorious and and uh, and his CNC stuff, and you finish a module for Steve, and you hand it to him free and say, Steve, this is what I can do. So what do you think about using me as a writer? And and then Steve wisely decides to use James Ward as a writer, and that's what everybody should be doing. You should. And I can remember going to uh, to conventions with people who I wanted to write for. And in the middle of the convention, I I go up and give them drinks so that uh, so that they know my name and they know that I was interested in their stuff. And so you just have to you have to pay attention to who are the makers and shakers in the game. So if you want to write for Troll Lords, you find out who Steve Chenault is and you make sure he knows and your name. And get him a Dr Pepper. You know, oh, he loves Dr Pepper. That's I'm so jealous too because he's a skinny mini. And you can drink tons of Dr. Pepper. It makes me very jealous. But that's what you should be doing as a young author. You should be like, let me give you another example. I was, uh, I was uh, out of TSR and I was looking for freelance work. And so I went and looked at the golden, I looked at Western Publishing. They, they had a game company. And I noticed that they had a lot of dice games. And so I submitted a, I noticed they also had a Charlie Brown license. So I submitted a Yahtzee game called The Great Shakes Charlie Brown Game. I finished the game, I handed it to them, and said, what do you think? And they loved the idea, and they bought it. And so that Great Shakes Charlie Brown game got me $50,000 because I paid attention to their website and what they were doing. And so that's what you should do to start out. As a new writer, you go look at people's websites. You know, say you like Pathfinder, say you like... Uh, CNC, uh, Steve Chanel is very easy to get to know. Um, but you look at their website and you figure out what you could do for them that they're already doing. You know, what licenses they have. Um, Steve had an Edgar Rice Burroughs license. I asked him if he wanted a, uh, a, a game product and, and he didn't have that part of the license. But that's what you need to do. You need to find out what you're, what you need to target a company. Like Wizards of the Coast, target them. You know, you're not going to make another Magic game, but they do other things besides Magic together. Maybe you can do a, a 5e game. I don't know why anybody would want to. I have to, 5e 
is way too complex for me. I can I can write the the adventure story part, but the idea of all the information that you have to write down for a monster and all the information that you have to write down for a player character, I find very daunting. So that's me. That's the advice I would give. Well, I think that's some great advice. I don't know of a source that would be better to get it from than you. <laughs> well, that's very kind of you to say. So thanks for that. We've got a lot of good stuff here tonight. I want to take us back to the warden real quick. And I want to know if there's anything else that you want to tell us about the Kickstarter or the warden itself. Anything that you want to go over again? Hmm, let's see. Well, first of all, I'm really pleased that uh, Steve Chenault and Troll Lords are doing the Kickstarter and making the product. It's uh, It was in my bucket list to do for a long, for over 40 years. So the, the this becoming a, a true product is just a, it's a miracle for me. It's, it's just amazing. Um, so the product, I, I, I just love everything in it. It's kind of my baby, really. Um, the, there's just fun new stuff in there, and 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 really it uses all my designs. I I, I designed the ship in uh, in '74 and '75, and those are the designs we used to make these levels um, of the of the 18 levels of the ship and the the 16 oh the 16 uh, in between levels. <laughs> Steve Chanel he wanted to help out. He said, Jim. You know, I've got a real good idea for it. And I said, what is that, Steve? And he said, why don't you add levels, uh, work levels, in between the levels? And I, I kind of said, well, okay, we can do something like that. And Chris Clark, he just seized on that. Chris, well, Cliff, Chris Clark really did all the, the lion's share of the difficult work in, in making this product happen. And so he did all of the 16 in-between levels. So I have level one. And I have level two, and in between those levels is an intermediate level where where all of like the mechanical work, all the power systems and the water systems and all the systems, oxygen systems, all those systems are hidden in that in between level for levels one and two. Sort of a maintenance level. A very good, very good way to put it. Thank you very much. And we did sixteen of those. So, and and so that's all new stuff. And they are difficult to navigate. It's, 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 it's a lot of fun, new adventuring that wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Steve Chenault's great idea. Do you have a favorite level? A favorite level. Okay, I do have a favorite level, but it's for an evil reason. Naturally, you would ask that, Liz. Naturally. Um, naturally. So level 10 is the command level. And uh, on the command level is the the command deck that is where the ship can be fixed and and actually the ship has come back on course ernie godgax and a group of players um have put the ship back on course to where it's supposed to go but unfortunately for them it it was 300 years worth of distance Mm -hmm. between where they belong (laughs) and and i think maybe if if i'm lucky enough if i if i manage to live five or six more years I'll do a metamorphosis alpha planet. I would really like doing that. But uh, and the command level is is extremely difficult to get into. It's 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 an ugly um, high security maze of of lasers and and sp- one whole one whole level. It's a couple miles long. Is filled with nitrogen gas. So if you don't have a way to breathe oxygen, you you die. <laughs> <laughs> 
and, and there's there's holes and traps that, that drop you down to other levels and it's just it's a very nasty obstacle of course just to get to the command center and in the command center is this crazed main ship's artificial intelligence and all you have to do is fix that intelligence to put the ship back on course well it's kind of a dangerous thing to do so that's yes it's my favorite level because it's the deadliest place on the ship i bet i've adventured people through that oh a good 20 or 30 times and no one has survived <laughs> uh real quick i just want to throw out um i have a local dm that runs at our friendly local gaming store and he's ran us through, we've played a Metamorphosis Alpha for quite a while. Um, also Gamma World and Mutant Crawl Classics too. So just want to give a quick shout out to Jeff. I hope he listens to this episode. And yeah, he's always talking about you. And I think you're a, a big inspiration to his DMing style. Oh, I love hearing that from people. I really do. But the only thing I, I don't like about that is, is I have this reputation for being a total party killer. And, and while it is true that many of my parties have died totally, it's, mm-hmm. not, it's not my fault. <laughs> you say you encourage it. <laughs> okay, maybe I encourage it, but I also give you a warning to be cautious and, and to be careful when you're moving things around, and nobody ever does that. And you have the nicest way of breaking the bad news, too, when one of our characters dies horribly. You're always so nice about it. There we go. Yes, I, I do that on purpose. It's kind of a trademark of mine. I, I like. I have an initiative system that I'm really proud of, where everybody's name is put on an index card, and and I shuffle them up at the beginning of every turn. And as I draw the cards, you're supposed to do something. And and actually, I invented this so that the meek role players were forced against their will to participate in the game. And uh, and so what happens when a character dies is I take their card. And I rip it in half with a smile, telling them that they've died, and I really appreciate them playing the game. An evil smile. And generally, people really love that, but sometimes it makes <laughs> them very unhappy. <laughs> I must say, Mike and Liz took it very well. Well, well we kind of knew what we were getting into. And, and I gotta say, <laughs> well, when go. I'm at a convention, I take a lot more risks than I do in a quote-unquote real game at home. Because, I mean, I'm there to get my money's worth, so I'm going to jump into the portal. I'm going to drink from the pool. It's like, I'm going to see what happens. (laughs) That's kind of a bone of contention that I have. I've been working very hard these last, like, two years specifically to make players care more about their characters. Because I think when they come to conventions... You know, they don't give, they don't give a, <laughs> they just don't care about their characters at all. So I start doing things to make them care more. Like one of the tricks that I do right now is every single, I give them a character sheet and I sign the character sheet because for some reason people like autographs and I make them list 10 things that they want to use during the game. And that kind of gets them more invested in the character because they, they've got like personal property that, that they've invested in the game and I, I think it works really good i try very hard to make people more invested in their characters so at least they feel bad when they die okay i think we're going to close it out there jim thank you so much again for being on the show it truly was an honor to have you on oh i appreciate being on it's nice being asked by you guys you know i 
I really like the experience that uh, that all of you people represent. You know, especially Mike and Liz. I know you guys really well. And Victorious is an amazing product. Um, so I, I, I appreciate being asked. Well, we look forward to the Kickstarter completion and getting our own copies of The Warden. And going to be great. That's the hope. Always good talking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Some games may change, but the castle's Crusade Siege engine remains the same. Our, our safe for half co-host DM Jim was showing off his copy online, and I remember looking at that, going, "Oh, I am so jealous." <laughs> well, I gave one to each of my sons, and they don't play games. So when I die, contact them, and you'll version of the thing. Tell them five hundred bucks. Hi, I'm a complete stranger, and I'd like to buy one of your books. <laughs> Did your dad sign them? 